Let's take our Bibles and turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. How many of you remember Marsha and I and our youth singing up here like the Vasquez's did today? <laughs> You're very blessed that you weren't there. All right. We actually did it, but most people have left the church since then. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're looking at the end of this chapter. You know, today if you want to get uh, somebody to read your articles or your blogs or whatever, uh, you've got to uh, put out some uh, just outrageous opening line or title so people actually read it. Uh, you've seen that. So, you know, every, almost every day on my phone, about 10 times, I get breaking news. And uh, I've got to read it. You know, it's usually something about the queen that did something, but it's breaking news. Uh, I read an article once where it started out this way, terrorist groups operating churches. Well, I had to read that. Terrorist groups are operating churches in America. What, what is that all about? So I started reading the article, and I found it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Uh, it said that uh, there's five different cell groups, terrorist groups, that are infiltrating churches around the country. Uh, there's, uh, there's been sleeping, been arguing, been fighting, been complaining, and been missing. And it's led by Osama bin Lucifer. Uh, Obviously, kind of tongue-in-cheek, uh, right, right along with Babylon B before Babylon B ever was born, I suppose. But uh, it did remind us of certain things as I read that article of the, of the church itself. Uh, I think, and, and probably most people don't think along this line, but I think one of the great needs today of, our, of Christianity is to understand the church. I think the understanding of the purpose of the church, the function of the church, uh, how, how God has ordained it and placed it exactly as he wants it to be, uh, it's something that is missing in the uh, theology of most Christians, in the life of many Christians. I think that uh, in some ways, uh, many, new, many churches in our world today uh, resemble the New Testament church about as much as I resemble an NBA basketball player. There, there's not a lot of connection. And that's because most people have never taken the time to really look at what Scripture says about the church itself. That the Lord didn't start a Bible study. He didn't start a parachurch organization. He started the church. He founded the church. And he's given us all sorts of information on how that church should function. And 1 Corinthians is one of those places where he's done that. Matter of fact, uh, it's interesting to think this church is a messed up church. We know that. A lot of problems. Paul's addressing problem after problem after problem. But let's keep in mind, this is a young church. Most of these people hadn't been saved by the, over six or seven years. So it's a young church, and it's a church with these issues because they're coming out of unsaved backgrounds. And he writes these things to help this church to, uh, to form to what God wants them to be, but also to help us to know what God wants us to be and what he wants his church to be. One unique feature about the church at Corinth, though, was his obsession with spiritual gifts. In all the New Testament, there's only four books that mention spiritual gifts, and by far and away, 1 Corinthians is the one that does the most detail going chapters 12, 13, and 14 uh, on that particular subject. It kind of reminds me of a, of a person who would uh, take up a new hobby and become so obsessed with that hobby that that hobby uh, obsesses them. It overwhelms them, controls them. These people have really fixated on gifts, spiritual gifts, and in fact they had gifts. Chapter 1 tells us they had all the spiritual gifts. And so they thought that was a pretty good deal, and it was, but they misunderstood them. And Paul is correcting them here. One thing we learn about spiritual gifts right off the bat is that spiritual gifts do not make you spiritual. Uh, they had all the gifts, but they were very much a baby church, immature 
church. So we learn that early. In chapter 12 alone, we find a number of areas where they were in contradiction of God's word. For example, in, in verses 2 and 3, we know they're out of control. The Holy Spirit wasn't guiding them, but they were doing their own thing. We find that later on in chapter 14 as well. In verse 12 and 13, they didn't understand spirit baptism, as many don't understand today thinking that somehow you, uh, an elite group of people, just a special group, were baptized by the Spirit and they became super-Christians and the rest were down here on a common plane. And Paul tells them in verse 13 that that's not the case, that every Christian has been baptized by the Holy Spirit and we're all, been, we are, we're all on the same plane. There's no super-saints. There are those who, all of us, are baptized into the church of Christ. And then in uh, the verses 11 on down, as we're looking at today and, and before, uh, as they looked at their gifts, there was two different responses. Some people looked at the people that were out front, uh, had the big, big showy gifts, and they looked at those people and they said to themselves, I can't measure up, therefore I will do nothing. They felt inferior. If, if, if I can't be an eye, then I won't be an ear. I've got to be what I want to be. And then there was others who did have the showy gifts, the big gifts, the, out, the prominent gifts, and they looked down on those who didn't have the gifts they had. So this church was just this combination of envy and, and jealousy and inferiority, and therefore they had the gifts, but they weren't using them properly as God wanted them to use them. So we've been talking about that. We come to the end of chapter 12, and there's two more subjects we want to address this morning. Paul's already hit these subjects in this chapter, but he's going to come back and, and reinforce them. That's how important they are. The first one has to do with God's appointments in the body, and the second has to do with our attitude towards the, those appointments. So let's start off by looking at the appointments. Verse 27 says, now you are in Christ's body, you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. This is kind of a summary statement. There's one body, and we are each members as Christians, we're members of that body. And so that's kind of like a, a review in a sense uh, he's, he's pointing out that we are dependent upon God's appointments in the body of Christ. So important is this, that we back up to verses 4 to 6, and we find that the whole triune God is involved in this process. Remember, as Christians, we're Trinitarian. We believe in one God who, uh, in three persons, but only one God. And, and the God is never at odds. There's never separate wills. There's never division. They're always working in unity but also they work in, uh, in distinction to a certain degree. We see that in verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Lots of gifts, but only one Holy Spirit. There, there are varieties of ministries, all sorts of opportunities and ministries, but the same Lord Jesus Christ, the Master. There's a variety of effects, uh, the effectiveness, the fruitfulness of our ministry. There's a variety, but one God, the same God, who works all these things in all persons. So we see the picture then, the Spirit is giving these gifts, the, the Lord himself is, is putting us in various ministries, and the Father brings about the effectiveness of that ministry. And so the whole triune God is involved in that process, and that, that, that's why the body should work as a body. See, we don't join a church as members as we think of joining a club. We are part of a body, an organism, not an organization. And that's what Paul is saying over and over with this metaphor concerning the body. Some of you know Paul Sager, who is, uh, was formerly the president of, of Biblical Ministry Worldwide. He grew up in Africa as a missionary kid. 
He said one of the funnest things he ever did as a kid was to climb these gigantic anthills. He said some of these anthills, we think of anthills as being about two inches tall. He said some of the anthills over there were up to 40 feet tall. Uh, they would spread out over, over much, and that was just the tip of the iceberg. Underneath were the colonies that could go on for as much as 50 miles of colonies. 300 million ants could be involved in one colony. They, they moved to, to build a colony like that, they'd have to move 40 tons of dirt. How do little insects like that do that? Well, they work in, as a unit. They're, they're not looking for glory. They're not looking to, be, to stand out. They're looking to work together to accomplish something. And they do so in perfect harmony and perfect unity. Now, if ants can do that and build something that would rival any engineering feat we might do as people, think about the body of Christ. That the Lord has placed us in a, in a form and in a function that we work in unity to glorify him and to accomplish his work. Now, with that in mind, Paul wants to move on once again to look at spiritual gifts. And we're going to, uh, he's already talked about some of these gifts. We're going to look at the rest today. And I'm going to divide it up into three different divisions to help us understand this. Number one, gifted men. Gifted men. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Gifted men. He's going to look at the specifics. Now we're going to move around in the Bible a little bit today, so try to go with me if you can. It's all when we look at just lists of things, we have to fill in the gaps with other passages. So follow along in your Bibles as much as possible. We're going to Ephesians chapter four. If you, if if I get ahead of you, just listen up. You can always go back and look at these later. But Ephesians chapter four, it talks about some of these same gifts. And let's see what it has to say in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So here we have these gifted people. Now they have gifts. God has given these individuals gifts. But primarily, as he says it in chapter 4 of Ephesians, these are gifted men given to the church to accomplish a feat. And that feat is to equip the saints for the work of service and the building up of the body of Christ. These gifted individuals have a task of preparing and equipping others to do the work of ministry. The gifted individuals that he's talking about here don't do all the ministry. That's, that's awful. A lot of churches do that. Uh, a lot of people have been around where the pastor does everything or whatever. That is not how the church is to function. The gifted men equip others to do the work of the ministry in all of its facets in a local assembly. And so we see these different ones. So let's take a look at some of, the, of these individuals. You can keep your finger in both passages if you want to. But we'll start with the apostles. The apostle is, the word itself means to be a sent one or a messenger. In its widest sense, and it's used this way in the New Testament on occasion, in its widest sense it could be a missionary as we know it today. Someone sent out by the churches to, uh, to give the gospel to places that don't have the gospel. Uh, they're sent out to uh, establish churches. That seems to be a big part of, the, uh, of what was going on at this time, to establish those churches. But in the strictest sense, and I've said this many times, so I hope you're getting it now, in the strictest sense, there are only 12 apostles. 
Revelation chapter 21 verse 14 makes it abundantly clear there are 12 apostles of the Lamb. Only 12. When Judas betrayed Jesus, he was re replaced with Matthias. But that was a mistake in my opinion. I think Paul was the replacement. And Paul often says he is the apostle and the Lord himself handpicked Paul. So I believe very much that he was the 12th apostle. As the other apostles started, started to die, James is the first, they're not replaced. There's no more apostles. There were 12 apostles. There are no more. And when they're gone, uh, their ministry is over. Now why is that important? Go back to the little book of Jude, uh, the, the next to last book of the Bible, Jude 1 chapter, verse 17. <laughs> Jude tells his audience that uh, there's, the faith had been handed down once for all to the saints in verses 3 and 4. But then verse 17 he says this, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude doesn't point to uh, new revelations. He doesn't point to other Christian leaders. He points to the past. And he says, I want you to, to look to the past, what has been spoken beforehand by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? Because it goes to the issue of authoritative revelation. The apostles were given, and we'll see in just a moment, the pro a few prophets as well, were given the ability to give authoritative, inspired revelation from God that ultimately was canonized in the New Testament. No one else has been given that right. No one else has that privilege. And so the fact that there are apostles uh, that do that and what they do is important to note, especially in light of the uh, movement today known as the New Apostolic Reformation, which is a movement that says the, uh, the office of apostle and prophet has been restored today, and therefore we have new apostles, and those apostles can give authoritative revelation, new inspired words on par with Scripture. And uh, that's important to note because this is the fastest growing aspect of Christianity in the world today. Uh, you if you know much at all about Christianity in general, uh, you've heard of Hillsong, and Bethel, Jesus Culture, IHOP, these movements that are growing by leaps and bounds, bringing in thousands of people to their conferences, churches of tens of thousands, uh, fantastic, uh, in, in, unbelievable impact through their music and so forth, and all of these are teaching a false gospel and, and being led by false apostles. That's, discernment is absolutely necessary. We need to know who the apostles are and why God gave them. Secondly, we have prophets. In both texts, it speaks of prophets. Prophets do two things. They foretell and they foretell. They, they can foretell, give a prophecy like we think of a prophecy of the future, and they can foretell, that is, explain uh, the already given revelation of Christ. They can do both things. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verse 20 and we see this unique ministry of the apostles and prophets in, three, in 2.20 that is very important to what we're doing here. He says in 2.20, having been built, talking about the church, having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now Christ is, is the cornerstone. He is the key figure of the church. But the, but the task of forming that church, founding that church, building the foundation for that church is given to just two groups of gifted men. The apostles 
and the prophets. And those are foundational. Now, you don't build a foundation forever. I used to work, as I mentioned last week, for a bricklayer, and we would come in and lay a, a block foundation for a house. Then we'd go, go away, and somebody else came and built on top of the foundation. Now, you don't build a foundation 10 stories high. You build a foundation, then somebody builds on that foundation. The apostles and prophets were given the unique task of building the foundation of the church. Again, it's important to understand that because uh, in, when the prophets spoke in the Old Testament or the New Testament, they spoke infallibly. They spoke with the inspiration of God. They were never wrong. As you probably know, in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, if a prophet spoke and they were wrong, their ministry was over because they killed them. They stoned them. They were done. You didn't preach, you didn't speak in the name of, of God and be wrong. And today we have a lot of prophets out there running around who claim they're speaking for God, but their words are fallible and they know it. They even admit it that, that over half their prophecies are wrong. You can't be a prophet of God and be wrong in your prophecies. These are infallible, inspired prophets. Don't confuse a, a biblical prophet with a preacher. Some people have tried to say that. Prophecy is like preaching. It's not. These are inspired preachers. They don't make mistakes. Now, when I come up here, I try my very best to preach the Word of God. I've studied hard all week. I have brought to you what I think is what God is saying, and I'm going to do the best I can to be accurate and clear. Uh, but I make mistakes, and many of you point those out on a regular basis. Okay? I can misinterpret. I can stutter along and, and, and mis, misspeak. The prophets never did that. They were inspired of God. They were complete. What they spoke was infallible. Then we have evangelists. The evangelists in the New Testament were, were those who uh, went out primarily, I think, to find found churches. They went out to take the gospel where the gospel had not gone, and they would find found churches, build churches. Philip, in Acts chapter 8, is a well-known evangelist who went out to the Samaritans and uh, took the word to them. Then there's teachers. In Ephesians, it speaks of pastors and teachers. In the Greek, the, the term basically is one, one office. Pastors mean shepherds. Teachers are, as you think, is the teacher. And so one of the great tasks of, the, uh, of these gifted people to the church is to shepherd and to teach, to instruct uh, God's people with God's word. Uh, most churches are also blessed with many other teachers uh, on many, many levels, uh, for children, for teenagers, for adults, all, all sorts of levels of teachers that uh, are given to the church. That, uh, and some, some teach one-on-one, -on -one, some teach in small groups, some teach in larger groups. Many, many are teaching the Word of God. How important that is on these great gifts. I want to say this. I heard this many years ago, and it's helpful to me. You know, there's, there are many today, a uh, very big movement of people who claim to be Christians that don't go to church. And, and they say, well, I don't need to go to church. Uh, I can read my Bible. I can listen to stuff on, online. Whatnot. I don't need involvement of church. I don't need to be instructed by other people. I can do it just me and God, me and my Bible, and so forth. That, that is, flies in the face of what the Bible teaches. The Bible has given the church teachers, all sorts of teachers. Every local church has teachers that are involved in proclaiming and instructing the Word of God in, in many different levels, in many different categories. 
Now, some will say, well, you know, I've gone to church for years and years, and, and I, I've listened to Pastor Gary preach for 20 years, and I can't remember a single sermon he ever preached. Uh, well, maybe, uh, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they say, well, I can't really pinpoint what, it, maybe here or there I remember a little bit of something. Is it really worth my time to go to church? and listen to him preach, and go to Sunday school classes, and listen to these teachers. I'm not remembering this stuff. I remember somebody talking about that and saying this. In my lifetime, and I'll just use my, my, me right now, in my lifetime I've eaten tens of thousands of meals. I've eaten three meals every day, and if I can squeeze in two more, I'll get them in there. Yeah? I, but I can hardly remember any meal I've ever eaten. There's some, there's some standouts. But the majority of the meals I've eaten, they, I don't remember them. I do remember coming home from South Africa once, getting in the airport about 2 o'clock in the morning, stopping off at White Castle and eating that first bite. Now, I remember that. Okay, that still sticks with me. I often think about it. But it's rare. Most of my meals, I, but you know, I got a funny feeling if I didn't eat all those times, I wouldn't be here. I'd be dead. Because I don't remember it doesn't mean it wasn't nutritious and helpful and good. Because you don't remember every detail of a sermon, and you don't, uh, doesn't mean you're not being changed and transformed and nurtured by the, pro by the proclamation and the teaching of God's Word. You are. You just don't realize it at the moment. If you're paying attention at all, you're picking up... So think, think about this. If you've got one thing, one thing from each sermon... Now, it isn't a White Castle illustration. If you've got one thing from each sermon, and you've came here for 20 years, think what you got. You've got a lot. You've got more than I've got, probably, right? Well, how important it is to be part of a church that teaches God's Word in many levels, and folks, be involved in every opportunity you can to study the Word of God with other believers. Let me move on quickly now to sign gifts. Starting and going back to 1 Corinthians, we have verse 28. He mentions several gifts we might call sign gifts. Uh, first ones are miracles and healings. Why did he give them miracles and healings? Miracles and healings are always given in the Bible to authenticate the message and the messenger. It, they're never given simply to relieve suffering. They're never given simply to impress. They're always given to authenticate the messenger and his message. Now, and throughout the Bible, only three times, as I said a couple of weeks ago, were there ever anybody who performed miracles. There was Moses, Elijah, Elijah, Jesus and the apostles. That's it. Hebrews chapter 11, filled with dozens of examples of Old Testament saints that, uh, that God was pleased with because of their faith. Almost none of them performed a miracle. David didn't perform a miracle. Abraham didn't perform a miracle. Uh, later on in the New Testament, John the Baptist, whom Jesus says was the greatest of men, never performed a miracle. So why, why are they given? What is their purpose? I want to very quickly look at three passages with you. I'm going to move quickly. John chapter 20. It's always the same. Every time you look, it's always the same. John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31 is to authenticate the message or the messenger. Verse 30, concerning Jesus. Therefore, many other signs, that's why we call these sign gifts, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He performed these signs as authenticating that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that we might believe in him and have life in his name. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. What about the apostles? Who had these gifts? The apostles did. Chapter 12, verse 12 of 2 Corinthians, we find that the Corinthians are challenging the authority of the Apostle Paul. And Paul says this, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. What authenticated a person as being an apostle? Signs and miracles. Signs and miracles. The signs of an apostle were, were these miracles. They were not given to everybody in the church. They were for the apostles alone. And Paul said, look, this is the evidence that I am truly an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Go over to Hebrews chapter 2 and look at verses 3 and 4. This says basically the same thing. Hebrews 3 chapter 2. He says in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, and that's the apostles, they heard the message. Jesus never wrote a book. Uh, we don't have any of his uh, words except through the apostles. But verse 4, how do we know which apostles to follow, to listen to? God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. How did the people know that these were spokesmen for Christ? That they were giving the real evidence, uh, the real message that Jesus gave. How'd they know? Because these apostles had signs and miracles and wonders that nobody else had. They're always given for the evidence of the message and of the messenger. Today we have many people claiming miracles. We have miracle working groups all over the world. The folks are not doing what they did in the New Testament. They, they have controlled environments in which they supposedly heal people and so forth. They, they orchestrate it. Someone has said to some of them, hey, if you really got the gift of healing, why don't you go down to the hospital? Why don't you clear out that ER? It's too full. Why don't you go upstairs and clear out the cancer wards and the heart wards? If you really had, Jesus went to the people that were sick and he healed them. Why don't you go to the hospitals and heal them if you truly had that gift? They can't do that because they do not have an authentic gift. And then there's tongues and interpretation of tongues here in our passage. The tongues is the ability to speak in languages that a person never learned. Uh, interpretation of tongues would be the ability to interpret languages you have never heard. These are also sign gifts. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and look at verses 21 and 22. And I'm not going to flesh this out too much because I'm going to hit that harder when I get to chapter 14. But I want you to look at verse 22 that says specifically these are signs. So then tongues are what? For a sign. Not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Tongues were, had a purpose. All you have to do is read that verse to know that. Now the next thing to do is figure out what its purpose is. It was a sign to unbelievers, not Christians. And it was a sign, as I'll, I'll prove to you later, to unbelieving Jews that they were under the judgment of God for rejecting Jesus Christ. That's for another day. You know, folks, whatever's going on today in the sign and wonders movements around the world, the IHOPs and the Bethels and the, the Hill Songs and all those kind of groups, whatever's going on today is not what happened in the New Testament. 
So I just put this out for your own discernment and, and processing. See, nobody today is speaking languages they've never learned. Nobody is interpreting languages they've never learned. Nobody is going to hospitals and healing completely and instantaneously organic diseases. Nobody is speaking flawless prophecy, which has absolutely no errors in it at all. Nobody is stealing the winds and parting the waters and raising the dead. Nobody. And so when you go back and look at what's going on today, you have to ask the question, what is going on today? Whatever is going on today is not what happened in the New Testament. It's something different. And I'll look at that more in detail in chapter 14. I must move on quickly to the service gifts. Going back to chapter 12 again. A number of gifts that are mentioned here. There's helps, for example, which Romans calls service. Just helping people. I think everybody has a touch of that. Uh, have you ever helped somebody move? Have you ever tuck a meal to a sick person? Have you ever helped, helped fix something for somebody that can't fix it? Those are ministries of helps. They're all over the place. Administration is next, or leadership, according to Romans 12, 8. That means to pilot a ship. That's what the word means, to pilot a ship. Organization and administration is a necessary part of a church like this one, where so many things have to be functional and organized. What a gift to have that ability. Then he mentions exhortation. Go over to Romans 12, which is another passage that deals with all this. Romans chapter 12. In verse 8, he speaks of exhortation in, uh, in that passage. Exhortation is a word that means to encourage or to comfort or to admonish. Joseph in the, in, in the book of Acts was nicknamed Barnabas because he had this meaning the son of encouragement. What would be your nickname? That's something to consider this afternoon. His was encouragement. Now, exhortation is not just sending get well cards. That's good. Go ahead and do that. It's wonderful. But it also involved confronting people, speaking to people, to, uh, to encourage people, to challenge people at times, all done in a way that is designed to encourage them to walk with Christ. Someone with the ministry of exhortation is a wonderful ministry in the church because there's always somebody who needs to be challenged graciously and encouraged. And then there's giving, chapter 12, verse 8 of Romans. Uh, giving, he says here, uh, is to be done with uh, liberality or generosity. Everybody should be a giver to God's work. If you're not, you're missing something. But some people are able to give in such a way that it lifts up people in a unique way and encourages them. And then there's mercy, verse 8. What a, what a gift this is. This means a compassionate spirit. Now, these are people, everybody again should be merciful, but some people have a special gift of coming along somebody that's hurting, who's sick, who's struggling, who's depressed, and coming alongside them and with a compassionate spirit that builds them up, that's a wonderful gift of mercy. There's probably other gifts that the Lord gives us that are not mentioned in the New Testament, but we have now looked at the ones that are. I want to very quickly now move on to one more thing. We've seen the subject of a, God's appointment. Now quickly look at the, the subject of the attitude. 20, verses 29 to 31 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, verse 12, he says, For even as the body is one, yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, I'm sorry, that's a good passage, but I want to go down to verse 29. Go down to verse 29. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? 
All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Now, obviously, every one of these are, was expected to have a no answer. Notice there's seven here, and every one of these are out front, up front, showy kind of gifts. And Paul is saying to them, look, there's two problems here with this church. One is discontentment. There are people in the church that say, look, I don't have one of the big seven. I have mercy, I have encouragement, I have whatever, but I don't have one of the big seven. And I feel useless. I feel like I don't have a place in the body. How do I fit in if I can't do one of the big things? And Paul says discontentment is not the way the church should function. The Lord has sovereignly placed you and gifted you as he desired in the body. Discontentment is just going to lead to more problems. Discontentment doesn't stay dormant, folks. If you're discontent with your life and your place in the body, that discontentment grows. And that discontentment eventually grows to the disappointment with God. And you're disappointed with God. You're going to go nowhere for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let that happen in your life. Now there's one more thing though. There's desire. There's a discontentment. But there's also a sinful desire. Verse 31. But earnestly desire the greater gifts and I'll show you a more excellent way. The word desire here is the word for covet. That's what we usually find in scripture, usually negative, a co coveting things that are wrong. And he uses that word here. Now I want to notice something with you. This verse seems to be saying, okay, now go for these greatest gifts. Go for the big seven. Earnestly desire them. I think that's absolutely wrong. Look, look very quickly with me. Verse, in, in verse 7, Verse 11, verse 18, verse 24, verse 28, verse 29, verse 30. He said, God has sovereignly placed you in the body as he wants you in the body. Don't go chasing what you're not. Don't, if, you're, if you're an ear, don't try to be an eye. If you're an elbow, don't try to be a nose. Now, be what God has equipped you and gifted you to be. Be content with that and minister for the Lord. So now is he going to reverse all that in verse 31? And say, oh, I'm just kidding. I've said it 10 times, but now I'm going to tell you, forget all I've just said and go for the greatest, the biggest, the most fancy gifts. I don't think so. And here's why I don't think so. This particular word here, this is a little technical, but you need to get this. This particular word here for earnestly desire can be translated, it, it can either be in the imperative or the indicative mood. Now what that means, and you can look this up in any Greek lexicon if you want to check it out, that means this could be translated legitimately one of two ways. It could be translated as a command, as is translated here. Or it could be translated as a statement, which fits the context. So a statement would be like this, it would go this way, but you are desiring the greater gifts. That's an indictment on them. Wouldn't that fit the context a little better? He's been telling them all the way through, don't chase after what you don't have. He's not going to reverse course now and say, go for it. He is saying, you are in a sinful situation because you're desiring that which God does not want you to have. Be content with what God has given you. Verse 31, though, says, and I'll show you a more excellent way. Paul's done with this. He says, now, if you want to chase something, let me tell you what you can chase. I want to show you a more excellent way. And that is going to be the way of love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we will enjoy our study of that. But before 
we do that, let me, let me give you a definition of love that you probably never heard to chew on. Here's a definition I'm going to give you. Love is enormous, enormous inconvenience for the good of someone else. Enormous inconvenience for the good of someone else. And let me illustrate that. An author I used to read quite a bit gave a story about his wife and son going down to get his license. The boy was 16. His day had come. Most boys are pretty excited about that. He went down to the DMV to get his license. And when he went down there, uh, everything went wrong. The car they was going to use that he always drove broke down. Uh, they came late. Uh, they had to take a pickup truck. They had a work pickup truck, not one of these gentleman pickup trucks. They had a work pickup truck. It was dirty. It was filthy. And, and the, the father couldn't go. He had an appointment. The mother had, was going to some kind of banquet or something. She was dressed in a fancy dress and high heels. But she took the time to take her son down to get his license because she loved him. But when they got there, one more thing went wrong. The uh, instructor said, uh, in, the, in this particular state, not Illinois, in this particular state, the law states that the, the, the boy has to drive the car, the instructor sits beside him, and the owner of the car has to be in the vehicle. And she looks at him in her dress and high heels and said, are you, are you kidding me? And he said, no. And he smirked. He knew she wasn't going to get in the back of that truck. And she said, all right. For if that's what it costs to get my son his license, I will happily jump in the back of that truck. So in her fancy dress and her high heels, she leaps into the back of the truck so that her son could get his license. And she taught him that day that love is an enormous inconvenience for the good of someone else. We're going to have fun studying chapter 13. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for the instruction of your word, Lord that teaches us so many things that help us to be what you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.